Well, I've titled this morning's sermon, Reflecting on What is Done While Looking to 2021. Reflecting on what is done while looking to 2021. And I want to read from Isaiah chapter 43, beginning in verse 1 and reading through verse 13. And so if you're able, wherever you are, whether you're here or watching online, I want to invite you to stand out of reverence for God's word as we read again Isaiah chapter 43, beginning in verse 1 and reading through verse 13. Hear what Isaiah writes. He says, now this is what the Lord says, the one who created you, Jacob, and the one who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name, and you are mine. I will be with you when you pass through the waters, and when you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. You will not be scorched when you walk through the fire, and the flame will not burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, and your Savior. I have given Egypt as a ransom for you, Cush and Seba in your place, because you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. I will give people in exchange for you and nations instead of your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who bears my name and is created for my glory. I have formed them. Indeed, I have made them. Bring out a people who are blind yet have eyes and are deaf yet have ears. All the nations are gathered together and the peoples are assembled. Who among them can declare this and tell us the former things? Let them present their witnesses to vindicate themselves so that people may hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses. This is the Lord's declaration and my servant whom I, am cho- whom I have chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. No God was formed before me and there will be none after me. I, I am the Lord. Beside me there is no Savior. I alone declared saved and proclaimed and not some foreign God among you. So you are my witnesses. This is the Lord's declaration, and I am God. Also from today on, I am He alone, and none can rescue from my power. I act, and who can reverse it? You may be seated. Well, again, good morning, new breed. Uh, For those of you who may be visiting us online uh, or here in person, my name is Pastor Michael. I'm Privilege to serve as the lead pastor here at Newbury Church, and we are glad that you are watching. We're glad that you're here with us this morning. Just want to remind you, Newbury, that this Sunday is one Sunday closer to when we will be able to gather together in full. I look forward to this, to that day when it comes. I want to also say, echo Pastor Lance, Happy New Year to you. I know many people like myself probably breathed somewhat of a sigh of relief when 2020 came to a close. I'd be willing to bet that this time last year, not many of you had on your New Year's bingo card many of the situations that we faced this year. Not many of us thought we would be living through a pandemic. Not many of us thought we would see the degree of social and political unrest that we have seen. Not many of us thought that we would be homeschool parents this year. But even as a church, 
It's been a much different year than we had planned. It was around this time last year that the leaders of Newbreed were were gearing up, preparing for a retreat to plan out the year. And we were so pumped, we had mapped out a calendar for the year that included gatherings, specific outreaches. We had planned specific discipleship opportunities, and we were ready to go. We were pumped up about what 2020 had in store. And like many of your lives... Everything changed come March. You know, this year has been a difficult type of year. Not only has all that been going on, but we have watched the church of Jesus slander and devour one another on many fronts. We've seen idolatry exposed in many who claim to be Christian leaders. There has been a lot. And yet through it all, God has been on His throne. You know, for many of us as... As a new year dawns, we typically do two things, right? At least I do. I, I'd assume you're like me. We typically do two things. First, we look back. We reflect on, on, on the year that has passed. We evaluate our goals and see whether or not we accomplish them. If you are one of those people who make New Year's resolutions, you look back and hopefully you can say, I did it. I think the story more often is not was, well, we'll try again next year. We consider what went well and what did not. And then, at the start of a new year, typically we look forward. Many of us set New Year's resolutions. Many set new family goals. We make plans and map out our steps and and see how we're going to accomplish them in the year to come. And and I don't know about you, but for, for some reason, it seems a little bit more difficult to do that this year. There, there just seems to be a little bit more of an air of uncertainty as you look ahead to 2021. I know for me, I have plans that I want to make, but if I'm honest, I'm hesitant to make them because I just don't know what this year is going to look like. There is a great deal of uncertainty. So that got me thinking as I prepared to preach this sermon, and I've been thinking about it for quite a few weeks, probably even a couple months at this point, what to say as this new year rolls around. You know, the question that loomed over me was while looking back at the year that we've had and looking ahead at the year to come, in light of all the uncertainty that many of us feel, the question that I wanted to answer was, how do we move forward? What can I say to encourage and challenge you as you begin to walk in what will likely be an uncertain year? And as I was praying through that, those two questions and thinking about it, the Lord, the Lord brought Isaiah 43 to mind, and in some regard, the prophet Isaiah is writing to a people that understand uncertainty. You know, as Isaiah is writing this particular chapter, the people of God are in exile in Babylon. They are not in the promised land. They are not in the land that had been promised to Abraham and to Moses. They are under foreign rule, and there is a great deal of uncertainty as many of them look to the future and try to figure out what's going to happen. And so Isaiah records the words that the Lord speaks, and in these words, there is a great deal of certainty and purpose for God's people in the midst of an uncertain time. And I believe that what God communicates in Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 13, is especially helpful for us here and now, as we reflect on the year that is done while looking to 2021. And so what I want to do this morning is... I was going to say short and sweet, but we'll just go with sweet. I want to share with you three things that God communicates to his people living in an uncertain time. 
three things that I believe that if we wrestle through and if we take to heart and we walk out in our lives, they will lead to a year where honestly I believe that we will flourish in faithfulness regardless of what lies ahead. That's important. We will flourish in faithfulness no matter what lies ahead. So here's, I want to jump right in. Here is the first thing that God communicates. So as God is communicating to his people in the midst of an uncertain time, communicates these three things of all the things he could have communicated. Here's the first thing that God communicates. God communicates to have no fear. To have no fear. Look again at verses 1 through 4 there. Now this is what the Lord says, the one who created you, Jacob, and the one who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you, I have called you by your name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and the rivers will not overwhelm you. When you walk through, when you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, and the flame will not burn you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel and your Savior. I have given Egypt as a ransom for you, Cush and Seba in your place, because you are precious in my sight, honored. And God says, and I love you. I will give people in exchange for you and nations instead of your life. And so what God tells his people living in in a time of uncertainty as the future just seems unclear, God tells them the command that is the most repeated command in all of the pages of Scripture. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. And the reason that that command is given, and honestly, brothers and sisters, the reason that command is the most frequent command in all of Scripture is because more than we may be aware, we have a tendency to fear. And as we consider 2021, I think we can be honest and say that many people had real fears this past year. As we look to 2021, I think many people can say we have real fears. Many people have feared whether or not they would get COVID-19 and what it would do to them. Many people feared that they may lose loved ones. Many people feared what the outcome of the election would be. Many people fear who is currently our president. Many people fear the president that is to come on January 20th. Many people had real fear over the economic toll that this year would take on their personal finances and their, and their businesses. Many people fear the uncertainty of what is coming next. And as fallen creatures, we have a very real tendency to fear. And the Lord knows this. So the most spoken command in all of Scripture is don't be afraid. I would contend that the reason that it is addressed so much is not only because we have a tendency to fear, but because fear can have devastating outcomes. And the reason that fear can be so devastating for us specifically as believers is because more often than not, what we typically say we fear is only the surface level issue. Because at the core of fear is that God will not keep His word. It's that God won't keep His word. See, if we fear losing our income, our fear may ultimately be that God will not provide like He said He would. 
if we fear death, we, our fear may ultimately be that God is not bringing us into something better like He promised He would. If we fear who sits in the White House, our fear may ultimately be that God is not sitting on His throne and doing all that He pleases. You see, fear runs much deeper than we may think. And that's exactly what's going on with the people of God in Isaiah chapter 43 that prompts God to say in the midst of uncertainty, do not fear. Because ultimately the people of God in Isaiah chapter 43 were tempted to believe that God would not keep His promises. That was the heartbeat of their fear. You know, the Old Testament scholar Edward J. Young notes in his commentary that life in Babylon captivity wasn't actually as physically oppressive as we want to make it out to be, right? When we look at the captivity of Israel in Babylon, oftentimes we focus on the physical oppression that must have been taking place, but he notes that it wasn't really physically hard for the people of God. In fact, some people liked it better in Babylon. Even Daniel was hesitant to leave Babylon. He didn't want to go. It was not necessarily a physically oppressive life. So the fear, though, that God is addressing is not one that's based on the physical world. But Young goes on and he says this in his commentary. He says, the thought that the nation was fearing because it was in exile seems to exist more in the mind of certain critics than to be in accord with actual fact. The reason, hear this, for fear was not merely that the nation was in exile, but that the ancient promises made to the fathers might not be fulfilled. And see, what he's getting at is that the people of God knew what God had promised Abraham. Descendants and a land to possess. See, the people of God knew what God had promised Moses. I will bring you into the promised land. It will be yours. And here they are, and they don't have it. And so their fear wasn't that, that things on this earth were going bad for them, not that they were physically oppressed or that, or that the Babylonian government was, was putting the clamps on them. Ultimately, their fear was one in the back of their mind of if we are sitting here in exile and God has promised us these things, is God going to keep His word? Is God going to keep His promises? So what God does in the midst of their fear and uncertainty is remind them of why they need not fear. That's just like God, isn't it? He doesn't just say don't fear, but he gives you reasons why. And in verses 1 through 4, God gives three reasons why they need not fear. And the three reasons that they need not fear are actually the same three reasons why we need not fear as we look ahead to 2021. Here's the first reason God gives as to why you need not fear. It's because God has redeemed. God has redeemed. Look again at verse 1. Now this is what the Lord says, the one who created you, Jacob, and the one who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name, and you are mine. See, God begins by reminding the people that they are who they are because God alone has called and redeemed them. They belong to Him because He has chosen them. Their standing with God is not based on their faithfulness. It is not based on the good works that they have done. They are who they are because God has loved them and called them by name in spite of themselves. And this is completely and totally a work of God. 
But you see this emphasized when the Lord refers to himself as the one who created you. And he's speaking of Judah, he's speaking of of Israel, he's speaking of these people, and he says that I have created you. And it's an interesting word, that word for created there, the Hebrew word. Because it's the same word that's used in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the, the Hebrew word is significant. In many respects, and and the Faith Life Study Bible notes actually give us a helpful understanding as to why that word is so significant as they reflect on Genesis 1-1. This is what they write. The Hebrew word for create, bara, is used in the Old Testament to refer to divine activity only. Yahweh alone serves as its grammatical subject, implying the writer wanted to emphasize that people cannot create in the way that Yahweh creates and that no other God can claim to be the creator. The verb bara also conveys the idea of ordering or determining function, suggesting that God's creative activity consists of bringing proper order and function to the cosmos. And what's interesting is that same word that is used when God speaks of creating the world is the same word that that is used when God speaks of creating His people. It is something that only God can do. And the reason that they need not fear is because the Lord's redemption proves that He works for the good of His children despite His children. Let me say that again, that the reason that they need not fear, the reason we need not fear, is because the Lord's redemption proves that He works for the good of His children despite His children. And what that means for us is that the blessings that we have in Christ are secure because God has called us and redeemed us of His own will and out of His own purpose and love, not because you and I deserve it. I mean, Ephesians 1, 3 through 5, blessed is the God, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before Him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for Himself according to the good pleasure of His will. We are safe in the arms of our God as we look into 2021 for no other reason than because He loves us, not because we deserve it. But the second reason He gives that we need not fear is because God God has and will continue to walk with us. God has and will continue to walk with us. Look at verse 2. Verse 2, it says, I will be with you when you pass through the waters and when you pass through the rivers. They will not overwhelm you. You will not be scorched when you walk through the fire and the flame will not burn you. God reminds them and God reminds us that we need not fear as we look to the year ahead because God is with us. The presence of pain and suffering in this life does not mean the absence of God. The chaos of 2020 that all of us witness, it does not mean the absence of God. And if it persists in 2021, it will not mean the absence of God. Some of us were so determined to get out of 2020 to get to the place of being near God and we missed the fact that He was right beside us the whole time in the midst of it. Asaph writes in in Psalm 
73, verse 28, but for me it is good to be near God. Doesn't matter where God is, Asaph said, it is good for me to be near God. And so what that means is that God, if God is in the river and the fire, then we are better off there with God at our side than anywhere else. Anywhere else. God is near to us when it seems like everything is out of control. And therefore, God says, we need not fear. Let me try to give you another picture of this to help explain this idea of being safe when we're near God. I often, the first thing that came to my mind was, was my two daughters, Emery and Thea. You know, when, when my daughters, they're, they're often afraid to go upstairs by themselves when the lights are off. Sometimes they're afraid to go down into the basement when the lights are off. You would have thought that I asked them to commit murder if I tell them to go get something downstairs and the light is off the way they they fight back but what's so interesting about my two little girls is that when they know that I'm right beside them and that I'm walking with them into the darkness they're fearless because they have such confidence that no matter what lies ahead in the darkness I've got them covered And I will protect them. And that is the picture that God is painting of himself there. That is the confidence that we should have in our Father. That no matter what lies ahead, even if it be darkness, he's got us covered. But the third reason that God gives as to why his people need not fear, it strikes dead at the heart of their concern. If of the people of God, it strikes their fear right to, to the core because God says that he promises that he will keep his promises. The third reason that we need not fear is because God will keep his promises. Look at verses three and four. Isaiah records, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel and your Savior. I have given Egypt as a ransom for you, Cush and Seba in your place, because you are precious in my sight and honored and I love you. I will give people, listen to this, God says, I will give people in exchange for you and nations instead of your life. You see, in these verses, God is reminding them of both where he has been faithful to keep his word, and he is pointing them to a greater fulfillment of that promise. Because notice this, when when God says, I have given Egypt as a ransom for you, what's he forcing the people's mind back to? Well, he's forcing it back to when he delivered them from slavery and bondage in Egypt by the way of the Red Sea in which the Egyptian army perished. He is reminding them to consider his faithfulness of old. In essence, God is asking them the question, have I ever let you down before? Have I ever not come through for you? Do you not remember what I did? God is telling them that he is a God who keeps his promises. But perhaps even be unbeknownst to them, God is giving them a picture, not so much of what has happened, but of what is to come. Because notice how God phrases their deliverance. He says, Egypt was given as a ransom. Then notice what it says there in verse four, because you are precious in my sight and honored and I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations instead of your life. 
You know, we often forget that part of the story of God delivering Israel from slavery and bondage in Egypt. For them to walk across freely, someone had to die. And it was the Egyptians in the Red Sea. And God says, I've already given someone else as a ransom for your life. And God is pushing them to consider the promise that would be fulfilled. Because God is saying, in other words, in order for you to live, someone else has to die. And it was through their death that they had, been, through others' death in the past that they had been saved. And God is pointing them to the day when another one will be offered as a ransom. Not an army, not a nation, but God himself wrapped in flesh. God is pointing them not only to look back at his previous deliverance, but to consider the day when all of his promises would be realized in Jesus. Because brothers and sisters, if we need evidence that God keeps his promise, Jesus is that fulfillment. Jesus is their hope of deliverance. Jesus is God's eternal declaration that I will keep my promises. And what was true for them is true for us as well. Therefore, we need not fear in the uncertainty we have experienced and in the uncertainty that surely lies ahead. Jesus is God's eternal declaration to us that I will keep my promises. Jesus is the guarantee that God will never leave us nor forsake us. Jesus is the guarantee that this year God will work all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Jesus is the guarantee that we will one day dwell with God forever in paradise. And our standing with him does not depend on how well we perform, praise God. I mean, look at what God says as to why he has and would deliver his people. God says that he sees them as precious and honored. And then God says, and I love you. The guarantee of God's promise is grounded not in our performance, but in God's love for us. Brothers and sisters, that's the hope of the gospel that we proclaim. That though we had rebelled, though we had sinned, though we deserve nothing from God, and every one of us left to our own devices deserves hell and separation from God for all eternity. As the scripture says, for God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. And he sent Jesus to live in our place and to die the death and take the punishment that we deserve to die. And it says that anyone who believes in him may have everlasting life. And God, through Christ, gives us an opportunity to be restored and adopted into the family of God, whereby we are cherished and honored and loved for all eternity. So as God's people... And Isaiah 43 are living in uncertain times. First and foremost, God communicates to them that there is no need for fear. But that's not all that God communicates. Here's, here's the second thing that I want you to see that God communicates about himself. God says that he is still saving. God is still saving. So first, do not fear. And second, God is still saving. Look at verses 5 through 9. It says, do not fear. Again, do not fear, for I am with you. God says, I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who bears my name and is created from my glory. I have formed them. Indeed, I have made them. 
Bring out a people who are blind yet have eyes and are deaf yet have ears. All the nations are gathered together and the peoples are assembled. Who among them can declare this and tell us the former things? Let them present their witness, witnesses to vindicate themselves so that people may hear and say it is true. And I, I love this. Of all the things that God could have said to his people in the midst of uncertainty, It kind of makes sense for God to say, don't fear, right? I'll keep my promises. But as God continues to communicate, he tells them in the midst of uncertainty, don't forget that I'm I'm doing something bigger than you could have ever imagined. I'm still saving others. I'm still on the move. And in these verses, with with the magnitude likely lost again on the original hearers, God is declaring to his people that, listen, I am not only saving you, but my chosen people, there are people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. I am bringing your descendants from the east and gathering from the west. I am claiming my own from the north and the south. Sons and daughters are being brought into my covenantal family from all over the world. And in the midst of God's people's uncertainty, God declares to them, trust me because I'm still on the move. I'm still saving. I'm doing something bigger than you realize. And brothers and sisters, if we're honest, we need to be reminded of this as well. Yes, this past year has been filled with uncertainty. But one thing we can know for certain is that in the midst of that, God was still saving. That he is still working and that he is still redeeming. And what God is communicating to his people in Isaiah 43 is that part of the reason that you are still in exile is because when I restore you, it will be a much grander restoration than you could have ever imagined. See, the people of God were just thinking about them getting to the promised land. And what what God was doing, he's saying, no, 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 I'm thinking bigger than that. I'm thinking bigger than Palestine. I'm thinking about redeeming a people into a promised land that won't, won't be destroyed by storms and winds and rain. Won't be pillaged by other nations. It is a it is a land of promise that will stand for all eternity and it's bigger than you. It will be a restoration that will include, yes, you, Israel, but it will include the Gentiles as well. Praise God. And this declaration by God should have reminded the people hearing it just as it should remind us this morning of two very significant realities when we consider the fact that God is still saving. The first thing it should it should call us to consider is the fact that this world is not about us. This world is not about us. God's declaration of saving people from every corner of the world should have brought about a real sense of humility in his people. Listen, it is easy. It is easy. I'll attest to it. In the midst of uncertainty and chaos, to only think about what God is doing in your life and, and how his plan is affecting you at any given particular moment. And what God is doing by reminding his people that he is still saving is that God is forcing the people to remember that this world is not ultimately about them. Yes, they were in the midst of uncertainty and God cares about that. And yes, the promise had not been realized, but what God was doing was grafting in a people that Israel was not expecting. 
And perhaps, brothers and sisters, in the midst of this tumultuous year that we have just experienced, God is doing the same thing. In fact, I don't even have to say perhaps. I can guarantee that in the midst of this tumultuous year that we just experienced, God was doing the same thing. Why? Because God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And the God who was redeeming while his people were in exile back then is the same God who is redeeming while his people are in isolation right now. The same is true today that Jesus spoke in Matthew 9, 37, that the harvest is plentiful. Our God is still on the move. Our God is still drawing a people unto himself. But the second reality that this should have forced them to remember as they consider this idea that God saves is not just that the world isn't all about them, but also that God is doing far more than we could ever imagine. God is doing far more than we could ever imagine. You see, God was not only concerned with Israel as it stood during exile. Now, God was concerned about Israel in exile. I'm not downplaying that. That's the amazing thing about our God. He can be concerned with more than one thing at once. Amen? He was concerned with Israel, but, but he was not only concerned about that situation in Babylon. He was concerned about this, the salvation of so many more he saw as precious and honored and loved. And brothers and sisters, in the midst of our own uncertainty, we have to remember, we have to remember that God is doing more than we can see. I am fully convinced that God has used this worldwide pandemic to draw people to himself. I'm convinced of it. I've heard testimonies of how God has drawn people to himself through this worldwide pandemic. And though I think it's so much more than this, but if only one person in light of this pandemic saw the brokenness of the world and then turned and saw the majesty and beauty of Jesus as a result and repented and believed, if only one, it was worth it. It was worth it. We don't know what God is doing, and that's okay. But we can rest assured that he is using everything that happens for his glory. And our God is still saving people. The question we have to answer is not necessarily what is God doing. The question that we have to ask and answer is, are we being faithful? And this leads to the final thing that God communicates to his people in this time of uncertainty. So God communicates to them that they need not fear. God communicates to them that he is still saving. And in the midst of uncertainty, of, again, of all the things that God could have said, the thing that he decides to remind his people of is this. Don't forget your purpose. Don't forget your purpose. Look at verses 10 through 13. He says, you are my witnesses. This is the Lord's declaration and my servant whom I have chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. No God was formed before me and there will be none after me. I am the Lord. And besides me, there is no savior. I alone declared saved and proclaimed and not some foreign God among you. So you are my witnesses. This is the Lord's declaration. And I am God. Also from today on, I am he alone, and none can rescue from my power. I act, 
And who can reverse it in the midst, brothers and sisters, of the uncertainty that his people were facing in the midst of real fear? God calls his people to remember their purpose, especially in trying times. And new breed, as we look back. And evaluate the year that has ended and as we look forward to and plan for the year that is ahead. We have to do so with our purpose in mind. And in these verses, God reminds his people in exile of their twofold calling, of their twofold purpose. And this same calling and this same purpose rings through the ages and is our purpose and our calling here at this very moment in this place. Here's the first part of that purpose. We are purposed to know him. We are purposed to know him. I mean, look at verse 10 again. It says, you are my witnesses. This is the Lord's declaration and my servant whom I have chosen. Here it is. So that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. So that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. We are to know who God is. We are to know who he is and what he has done for us and all that he has called us to. We are to remind ourselves of it and be certain of who our great God is, especially in trying times. To know God and be confident of all that he has promised. This is a defining aspect of our purpose in Christ Jesus, to know God. And I'm going to be honest with you, this year we will have to fight to know him like we do every year. But second, not only are we called to know him, we are called and we are purposed to proclaim him, to proclaim him. Verse 10, he says, you are my witnesses. In verse 12, he says, you are my witnesses. This is the Lord's declaration. The Lord declares to his people that you are who you are and you are where you are. And you are going through what you are going through so that you will know me. And so you will declare who I am to those around you. And in some sense, brothers and sisters, this should be an encouragement to us, because I don't know about you, but has anybody else in the midst of the isolation and the pandemic had moments where you're just kind of like sitting there on your couch and you're like, I really don't know what to do with myself right now. I I really don't know what I should be doing. I I don't know. Like I've my wife at one point, uh, maybe a week or so ago, was like, hey, you got to like you're just you're pacing. You're making me nervous. I'm just walking around like I don't know what to do with myself. And so it is a good thing that God reminds us of our purpose in the midst of uncertain times, that in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of a flood, in the midst of a fire, in the midst of political unrest, in the midst of in the midst of social unrest, our purpose remains unchanged. We are to know God and to proclaim him. How we do it might look different, but the purpose remains the same. And it's an encouragement that God reminds the people of this. He says, hey, don't get distracted by the chaos around you. You still have a purpose to fulfill. And brothers and sisters, this is our fundamental purpose, to know God and to proclaim God. And I want you to hear me very clearly. Our faithfulness requires both a knowledge of who God is and what he has done and a proclamation of that truth to a lost world. Faithfulness demands both. We cannot expect to be seen as faithful in the eyes of God if one or both of those aspects of our calling are missing. Let me try to give you an example of this. I'm going to date myself a little bit here. 
So back in the day, I, I was a manager at Blockbuster. Um, that's right. I was a manager. At, and listen, I was, I was at Blockbuster in the time where there was still VHS, right? We had that machine that, like, we'd put it in and, and fine you because you were the jerk that returned the VHS without rewinding it. You know who you are, okay? You drove us crazy, right? But I worked at, I worked at, at Blockbuster. I'm just kidding. We, we love you. Um, be kind, rewind. Um, you know, new movies, new DVDs and VHS, they used to come out on Tuesdays. Um, and so what we would do is we'd get a shipment of, of what was coming out over the weekend. And in that shipment would be obviously a bunch of DVDs or movies. We're going to stick with DVDs right now, a bunch of DVDs. But what they would also do is they'd give us a lot of like signage and postage to put up, to, to hang up, to display, to tell people about the movies that we had gotten. They also allowed us to rent the movies early so that we could watch them. But if we didn't want to watch them, often they'd send like a summary of the movie, right? So if somebody came in and asked you, hey, what's that movie about? If you hadn't seen it, you could still kind of give the bullet points without ruining the movie. Of, hey, this is what it's about. These are some of the characters in it. And we were expected as staff, specifically us as managers, to, like, to know about the movies. Like it's a bad look if somebody comes in, new releases out, and they're like, hey, what's that about? You're like, I don't know. Rent it and find out, which happened sometimes, right? But, so, but my responsibility, I worked a lot of Monday nights, and so my responsibility on Monday night when the store closed, right, was to inventory all that we had because, you know, we didn't want you to walk away from the store. We needed to know how many of them we had. My responsibility was to set up the display and the posters, hang some window decals about the new movies, right, and then put the movies out so that people who are coming in seeking can find. Do you think that my manager, like the store manager, would have looked at me and said, well done, had I inventoried and knew all about the movies and never put them out on display? never offered them to people who were looking. It's kind of a silly picture, but in some sense, I think that's what we think we can do with our faith, that we can know all about who God is and what he's done. And God has said, I don't want you to only know, but I want you to put it on display for the world to see, especially those who are seeking. And we know all about him, but we never put him on display. I don't think we'll hear from God, well done. Faithfulness requires both. And we have to evaluate. Part of our, our new year is we have to evaluate if we are being faithful. And church, I'm going to be honest with you, I have spent a lot of time over this past month evaluating and thinking through whether or not we can say as a church we have been faithful to know and proclaim God. And I'm left questioning whether or not this is an area where we can say we are faithful as a church. And I want to be clear up front with two things. I'm talking to myself as well as you in this next section. And my goal is not to shame anyone. It's not. But I think we have to be honest and evaluate and look at ourselves. And I think we need a little challenge because as I was evaluating over this past month, and I'm, I'm telling you, this question has dominated my thought process for a month now. The question that I kept asking was why, as we are coming up on seven years of ministry, have we seen almost nothing in terms of people coming to faith from the community where God has placed us? In almost seven years of ministry, why have we seen almost nothing 
in terms of people coming to faith from the community where God has placed us? And that question has just dominated my mind. And over the course of the month, I've come up with three answers. There are only three possibilities that I can think of. The first is that God lied to us and that the harvest is not plentiful and that God is not saving as he once did. I'm going to go ahead and throw that possibility out right here at the jump. I believe God when he says that he is still saving. I believe my Savior when he says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So the second possibility that I was left with is perhaps, perhaps we have an Isaiah ministry. Meaning that we have been sent to a people who have ears but will not hear and eyes but will not see and hearts and minds that will not understand. That was the entirety of Isaiah's ministry. God said, I'm sending you to a people that are never going to hear what you have to say. They're never going to listen to you. They're never going to believe, but I still want you to go and say the same thing. That, it, that could be a possibility. But there's a third possibility. And the third possibility is perhaps we have not been as faithful as we should have been. And I'll be honest, at this time for all of us, myself included, I'm leaning heavily towards the third. You know, New Breed, we've said a lot over the past almost seven years now. We have spoken out against racism and systemic injustice and shown how the gospel compels us to address this. And we have planted our flag firmly in the ground on that issue. And we will not move. We have addressed political issues and what the Bible has to say about it. We have been clear that neither Republicans nor Democrats represent our king. I would argue that over the past nearly seven years, we have grown tremendously close as a family. And I want you to hear me say, I praise God for all of those things. I don't want to see any of that change. But my question is, have we settled there and neglected the purpose for which God has placed us on this earth? Do we perhaps need the same warning that God gave the church of Ephesus in the book of Revelation when he says in Revelation 2 about the church, I know your works, I know your labor, and I know your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. That's a good thing. He says, you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. That is a good thing. He says, I know that you have, per you have persevered and endured hardship for the sake of my name, and you have not grown weary. That is a good thing. But then God says some of the scariest words you could ever hear from God, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. And he says, remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. And then he says, otherwise I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And what God tells this church in Ephesus is, listen, if you will not get back to your first love, your love of God and what he has done and your love for proclaiming that to the world around you, he says, I will come and remove your lampstand. And what that means is God is saying that a church that does not seek to know me and proclaim me has ceased any right to call itself a church. I know that's a hard question that I ask, and it has weighed heavily on me this past month. But church, as we look to 2021, the question that we have to ask is, will we be faithful? And I think it starts with just an honest evaluation of where we are as individuals and then an honest evaluation of where we are as a church. And I have been evaluating. I, 
people who have known about this sermon and I've processed with them can tell you, I've asked the question, maybe it's me. Maybe it's me as a pastor. Maybe I've done a bad job of shepherding in this. Maybe it's us as pastors. Maybe it's not us as pastors. Maybe it's us as, uh, we're just too busy. I, I don't know what it is. But I think as we begin this year, we've got to have an honest evaluation about where we are. But I want to say this, I, and I want you to hear me, please. If as you evaluate in your own life how faithful you have been at knowing him and proclaiming him, and you find that you may not have been as faithful as you would like, let me encourage you with this, and I, I want you to hear this. Your standing with God does not depend on if you have done enough. You are loved and you are cherished by God simply because he has chosen to love and cherish you. And this does not diminish because we struggle at different times in different ways to be faithful. Our standing with God is based off of what Christ has done and Christ alone. Praise God. And part of the reason I share that with you is because I want that reality to motivate you to be faithful. I want it to motivate me to be faithful. God has loved me and he cherishes me in spite of me, not because I, I deserve it. Because as I said at the beginning, I'm not trying to shame or embarrass us. And I know there is a temptation to feel that, but that won't motivate us to faithfulness. But what will motivate us is when we take time and reflect on the fact that we are loved and cherished by God simply because he decided to love and cherish us. He is so worthy of our worship. He is so worthy of our lives. Brothers and sisters, I believe as we look at 2021 that the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. And let us be a church that does not add to the shortage, but puts workers in the field. And so as we reflect on the year that has passed and look forward to the year that is ahead, my prayer for us is that we would walk into 2021 without fear. Because God has redeemed us, God is with us, and God will keep his promises. And I have been praying and will continue to pray that we would walk into 2021 expecting to see God save. And I want to invite you to join with me and pray that we, the body of New Breed, would be committed, unwavering to our call to know Him and proclaim Him. Because in 2020 and in 2021 and every year that has passed and every year that will come, He alone is worthy. There is no God formed before Him and there will be none after. To Him, Him alone, be all glory and honor and praise.